Good morning, Westside, and Happy New Year. I love telling people that this time of year, because if you don't know, or if you're a little bit confused on what I'm saying, today is the first Sunday of Advent, which in the Christian liturgical calendar is the very first day of the year. So for the early Christians, we've been doing this for about 1,600 years, the Christians sought to order their time around the gospel and the story of Jesus. So the calendar, through the calendar, we seek to redeem our time through embodying this narrative of the gospel. So seasons like Advent, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, through readings and liturgies and prayers and songs, we seek to drive the story of the gospel deep into our life, that being the Christian story. So of all the seasons, Advent feels the most familiar to us here at Westside, because we've done things like the wreath for a number of years, and some of the other ones pick up on that story later on. So it's also the easiest season of the year to participate with your family through maybe an Advent calendar or the devotional that we have out front or some other things that you can do to to engage in the season. So here's why we need to remember Advent. It's because Hallmark, Walmart, Walmart, and Lifetime, right, are trying to co-opt and steal the story from us. But when we participate and we remember these things of the season, we seek to redeem the gospel and drive it deep into our life. So really, we want to be more formed by the gospel and the calendar of the church than we do the calendar of the culture around us. So we as a community must seek to live into the story by allowing the rituals and traditions to remind us of what is really going on in the season. So the early Lutherans, for instance, what we do here, we got this from them. They sought through their home devotionals, this was started in their home, to pick out five candles. And each candle represented a new theme for the week. And it all culminated on Christmas Eve with the lighting of the Christ candle, a white candle, which we will anticipate and wait for. So this week, the theme is hope. The hope that even though our outer circumstances may be dire and and dark, That Christ promises hope as he is the light that's coming into the darkness. Even if our hope is no bigger than that of a candle. Advent declares that the powers of darkness are going to be destroyed by the person of Jesus. So one way we participate in that is through prayers and readings together. So in your bulletin, you have our prayers for this morning. And so I'll start, and then you will repeat after me, repeat with me the bold sections. Lord, open our lips, and our mouths shall proclaim your praise. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Isaiah 40, verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, whose blessed Son was revealed to destroy the works of the devil and to make us the children of God and the heirs of eternal life, grant that we, having this hope, may purify ourselves even as he is pure, that when Well, hey, why don't you grab your Bible if you don't have one or own one? Um, there's one in the paperback or in the pew back in front of you, a paperback Bible, and you can turn towards the very end of your Bible to the letter of First John, chapter three, and give your attention to the reading of God's word today. All right, West Side. When you get to First John, chapter three, look up at me and say, "Merry Christmas." It's all about Jesus. Amen. All right, why don't you stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word this morning. 1 John chapter 3, we'll be reading verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is the Word of the Lord. 
Well, good morning, Westside, and I tell you what, don't you love the Bible? What a verse to read on Christmas, right? Well, um, we are in our Advent series, so we sort of started last week um, and just gave a little bit of preface about where we're going, but today marks the first Sunday of Advent. And so for the following Sundays, we start our service a little bit differently with the lighting of the candle and doing all of that. And man, this is just one of my favorite times of the year as it starts the church calendar. And our series that we're looking at is called Why He Came. And so maybe you didn't grow up in church, or the great thing about Westside is we have many different backgrounds. People grew up just all types of different things. Advent is what we learned last week. Uh, It's the Latin word that means the coming or the arrival of something significant. And so in the church calendar, we learned that Advent is about the arrival of the person of Jesus Christ. And we said that, that Advent does a number of things. Um, It allows us to look back to see what God has done, all of the faithful promises that he had and he kept in the person of Christ. So we look back to see what he's done, but we also look around to see what he's doing. And just the history of this time of year with the Christmas lights represent light in the darkness, the evergreen trees and all of that representing something that never dies, like the eternal life that Christ offers us. So it's a time for us to look around, but it's also a time for us to look forward to see what Christ will do because we live in a great part of history. We look back to know that Christ has come, but as God's people, we look forward to know that he will come again. And so we live in this anticipation. And what we're doing in this series, Why He Came, is we're looking uh, at the letter of 1 John. And so last week, we looked at a number of statements that John makes in his letter. And when he says, this is why Jesus came. This is why God came. This is why Emmanuel, why God became man. And so last week we looked at that Jesus came to to take away sin. And we looked at this idea of Christmas that really the way that Jesus was able to take away sin is the fact that he took on sin. And we looked at the deep doctrines of Christmas, if you will, that Jesus is eternal, that he's equal with God the Father, and that he is empty of sin. And I'll tell you what, we got a lot of feedback last week. Um, You know, just the aspect of teaching our children that Christmas is not when Jesus began. It's, it's when God became man, yes, but Jesus is eternal, that he's always existed. And so my kids this week kept trying to talk about, like, oh, so Jesus is older than rocks. <laughs> yeah, buddy, he's older than rocks, you know. But is he older than that tree, Dad? That tree's been, yeah, buddy, he's, you know. He, and so just trying to grasp and understand something like that is fantastic. And, and this week, we, we look at Jesus came to... Take out the enemy. <laughs> and it was probably what was read the most unchristmas verse that's ever been read. But in reality, John says, Oh, yeah, this is why Jesus came. And he came to destroy the works of the devil. Did you know that that's my favorite Christmas verse? I mean, I'm going to start a whole clothing line. It's going to be on coffee mugs. It's going to be on all of that. That, oh yeah, Merry Christmas, Jesus came to destroy the devil. Merry Christmas, right? And so to set this up this week, um, there was a moment in time four years ago when all of us were sort of glued to our TVs and especially living in this state. And it was on December 2nd, 2014, when all of us were looking at our TVs and we were seeing the riots and the unrest that was happening in Ferguson, Missouri. And so with the shooting of Michael Brown, and they didn't indict, and the city erupted, and it was around the holidays, and everybody was just in unrest, and it's even had a profound effect on local law enforcement. It's coined a phrase now entitled the Ferguson Effect. But during that, there was an image that went viral. On the cover of the Washington Post, everywhere, and it was this picture. The irony of Christmas decorations and Christmas lights and a sign that says, Season's Greetings, and underneath it, literally a SWAT team. There were other images that began to go around of the sign, Season Greetings, with a car burning in the background and all of that. 
And the irony was that downtown, with it all decorated and season's greetings and lights and holiday cheer and festives, a time that's supposed to bring peace and comfort and joy, and to see almost like a military-type presence, the unruliness and the riots was almost like a contradiction, if you will. It was just... It didn't fit right. It was like oil and water. This this doesn't make sense happening this time of year. But I would argue that that image is actually much more correct than any hallmark image that is sold to us. For you see, in the verse, it says that the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And John is actually picking up on the theme that began at the very, very beginning of the Bible. And we don't ever really talk about this this much. But in Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters into the world, everything that God had made was perfect. And he created man in his own image and likeness. And the first wedding with Adam and Eve. And then the enemy enters into the picture and tempts Adam and Eve and says, God's holding out on you. And when sin enters into the world, God makes a declaration. And he makes a declaration to the man and to the woman, but also to the enemy. And in Genesis 3.15, God says these words, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall strike his heel. The word enmity there literally means war. And strife. And so God said from the very beginning of the story, there's a war now. Now that you have desire to be God rather than to worship the true God, there will be hostility and there will be strife. But then God narrows down and he says, I will put enmity or war between your offspring and hers. And then he says this, he, he shall bruise your head and you shall strike his heel. It's interesting, the word offspring means seed. Why would God say that the woman's seed should bear that? We can take a quick trip to anatomy class and realize that women don't carry seed. And what we understand Genesis 3.15 is, is what theologians call the proto-evangelium, the very first gospel that God himself preaches And he says, though sin has entered into the world, and though there is now a declaration of war, I will send the hero. I will send myself. And so now, all through Scripture, when you read it through that lens, there's a tension, there's warfare. And then entering into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 sprinkles a verse that heightens our awareness. And he says these words, For our struggle, our enmity, our war is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, I would argue from a Christian standpoint and from the scriptures that there is something going on in our world And the reason why we turn on the news and see death and decay and anxiety and panic and all of those things is because there is a war that many people are unaware of. Today is going to be a little bit different of a sermon. It's not going to be a lot of funny stuff today because everything's on the line. I think the reason why many of you just are struggling in our marriages is because the first thing that was attacked in Genesis 3 was a marriage. I think the reason why many of us struggle with generational addictions is because you have an enemy. There is something in this life that oftentimes we try to turn our head from and we do not want to believe. But the scriptures open our eyes to that. And not just the scriptures, but Advent. One theologian, N.T. Wright, says Christmas has made us cozy, but Advent beckons us to stay awake. And so for many of us, we view the nativity scene and Christmas like this. Almost comedic, 
almost cartoonish, nice, cozy, clean, neat, and tidy, and little six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, right? And it makes us feel good, and it goes along with our schedule. And oh yeah, Jesus is an accessory in my life, and I've got these plans, and I've got all of this. I've never really asked God about them, or if they are even right, or if they are in His will, but rather, I want to do this, and then I'm going to ask God to bless it. And the nativity and Christmas reassures me that everything is clean and nice and tidy and all of that. But in reality, what 1 John 3.8 teaches us is that Christmas and the nativity actually looked more like this a war that when the son of God came that it was God himself touching down on enemy territory and as the famous line from tombstone said the son of God looked at the devil and said I'm your huckleberry and it's game on and so today as we look at this understanding in this one verse We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the enemy, the activity, and the victory. But what we're going to understand is this. Christmas declares to us that the powers of darkness have been destroyed by the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, Westside, there is so much more to Advent. There is so much more to the coming of the person of Jesus Christ than just Christmas lights and candles. But yet all of those things represent to us that there is a war going on and that when Jesus touched down, that it was a declaration, and that John said the reason, one of the reasons why he came was to destroy these works. Just all cards on the table and everything up front, this will not be a politically correct sermon. But I fear God much more than I fear you. And I believe today that in order for us to understand good news, we have to understand the contrast of that. And knowing a reason why things are wrong gives us hope. Have you ever been to the doctor and not felt well? And they ran all of the tests and done all of those things. And then they tell you, we can't find anything. We don't know, but yet the sickness and the weariness of your body continues. And you've gone to a place of hope and desired to get a diagnosis, but leave with no diagnosis and you leave hopeless. You see, oftentimes we never really understand that the gospel diagnoses us and that we can find hope in understanding what's wrong and what's broken. So the first thing that we see from the text is this, the enemy. John says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. But look at the beginning of verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. John uses the word devil three times in one single verse. Now, what we understand of this word devil, diablos, it is used 18 times in the Old Testament and 36 times in the New Testament. Here's what I need to preface really quick. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, one of the great tactics of the enemy is two great errors, either to be, number one, unhealthily obsessed with him and looking and pursuing all of this, or, number two, denying the existence So there's a ditch on either side of the road. But one thing that I think oftentimes in the church is that we give way too much credit to the enemy. What we understand from Scripture is this, that he's not omnipresent, he's not everywhere at the same time, that he's not all-powerful, that he's not all-knowing, that he's very limited. So if you got a nail in your tire on the way to church, probably wasn't the devil, okay? He's probably not messing with you. Okay, he was probably, you know, messing with Billy Graham when he was still alive or something like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's not all of this, oh, oh, and then the enemy is attacking me and all of this. The second thing is this. I think probably you just made dumb choices. Oh, the enemy's after me. I was at the bar till 3 a.m., got drunk and hooked up with somebody that I shouldn't have. No, you're dumb. Dumb choice. Shouldn't have done that. 
Oh, my finances, the enemy is really attacking me. Nope, you had $5 and bought something that cost 7 Not the enemy, okay? But what we do understand when we look through Scripture is that it speaks of an adversary. Something or someone that is opposing the very works of God. And just a bit of background, what we see in Ezekiel 28 are sort of the origins of this. And then in Isaiah chapter 14 teaches us, Ezekiel 28 teaches us that he was a created being, an angel, an angel of light. Some scholars believe probably was in charge of music or heavenly hosts, that his robe had bells and there was music when he walked. Because it's a lot easier to sprinkle in error into truth when it has a melody to it, I think, at times. In Isaiah 14, it speaks of that when God was creating the heavens and the earth, that Lucifer desired that his throne be above God's. We don't know when the exact fall happened of Lucifer. I tend to lean that when Lucifer saw the creation of the man and the woman created in the Imago Dei, the highest beings that he desired that position. And in Isaiah 14, nine times in the verse, we see that Lucifer declares, I will, I shall, I want, and all of those things. There's a little bit elusiveness of the origins, and there's a lot of debate about all of those things, but what I try to always land on is that Jesus guy in the Gospels. He's probably a pretty big deal, right? Out of the, how many times? 29 times in the Gospels Satan is mentioned, 26 of them come from Jesus' lips. And Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So now we're not talking about an ethereal concept, but now we're talking about Jesus who never told a lie. We learned that in junior church, right? And so if he said that, then that that is probably true. And so what I want you... Listen, here's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the names in which he is described in the Scriptures. The verses and the references will be by these points. Do not take my word for it. That's why we want you to hold a Bible in your hand. We don't spoon feed you and always put the verses up on the screen because those could be wrong or I could be lying. So what you need to have is a Bible in your hand to check these things and to understand these things. And if John thought it was important for understand at Christmas that the reason why he came was to destroy the works, then we need to know who we are dealing with. And so the enemy is described like this in the Scriptures. The first thing, Revelation 12, 10, the enemy is an accuser. The Scriptures teach us that day and night, some crazy way that I can't understand, that in Revelation 12, 10 it says that he accuses the brethren day and night before God. Many theologians believe that the enemy uses the law of God. Interesting, right? Interesting. Why would he use something that God has had? Because the law only diagnoses us. It doesn't give us the cure. So the enemy is constantly berating and parading before God, trying to accuse the people of God of all of their failures. He is an accuser, which is interesting. Because talking and speaking with people, guilt and shame are a prison that many of us live in. And so when we begin to understand the accusations that come against us, and why would you pray with your wife and your kids tonight before bed? Because your wife knows what you did in the beginning of your marriage, and now you shouldn't even utter, and why is it even worth it? Because your husband knows what you struggle with, and you shouldn't even begin to serve in church because of your past. And if anybody ever knew, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And it has a source. And it comes from the accuser of the brethren. The second thing is this. The enemy is a murderer. John 8, 44. Jesus says that he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The early church fathers understood this with death. Death. When sin entered into the cosmos, death came with it. 
Death was never a part of God's plan when it came to the image of the man and the woman, for they were created in God's image. And so if God is life and sin separates us from God, then the opposite of life is death. And listen to me. Where there is murder, where there is violence, where there is hate, where there is discord, you can count on demonic activity. And to take it even a step further, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that he who harbors hate against his brother or sister in Christ is already a murderer. So to take it a step further, unforgiveness, bitterness is all demonic activity. You see, when we begin to shed the light on something like this, we begin to see how serious the issues really are that we deal with. It's not just hurt, and it's not just bitterness, but it is an open wound and an open door for the enemy to continue to suppress and hold you down. The enemy is an accuser. The enemy is a murderer. The enemy is a liar, John 8, 44b. Here's what Jesus says to the religious people. You're a liar. Isn't that great? Blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, right? And he looks to the Pharisees and says, You're a liar, and you are of your father, the devil, for he has been lying since the beginning. Lies. And the lie started in Genesis 3. Did God really say to not do that? Did, did, did God really say that that's the design for marriage? Did he? Did God really say that, that this is the, how you should use your, your money? Did, did God really say that this is life and, and this is death? And sometimes lies come as subtle as just suggestions sometimes. And so this week uh, I was talking with Roman and we were talking about all of this and all the exciting things and Christmas and stuff. And he was asking me questions about the enemy and, you know, the devil and how a seven-year-old's mind works. And I was trying to, oh man, I was just praying, God, please let me answer this correctly and all of that. And I walked through this list of names with him. And we got to the liar. And, and I said, so, so Bubba, if, if we lie, who are we like? And his eyes got real big. He said, then we're like, like the devil. I said, yeah, Bubba, see, that's why it's such a big deal for us. It's not just a little slip up, and it's not just a little white lie, and it's not just this. But when we understand how serious this is, we see the origins of it. The standard is very high. And it is Christ. And we do have an enemy. And Christmas declares that the enemy has been defeated. But we are heightening our senses to who and what we are up against. He's an accuser. He's a murderer. He's a liar. And then this, the enemy is a thief. John 10.10. When you actually understand how limited the enemy actually is, like he can't create anything. God alone holds that power. So, if the enemy cannot create, then he can only imitate or distort something. And oftentimes what the enemy does is through a suggestion, um, like let's say food. Food's great. Love food, amen? Love food, right? Love steaks, praise God. That's why God invented cows, was for steaks, right? (laughs) Sorry, okay, you know what I'm saying? Praise God for the new covenant in bacon. And all the Lord's people said amen, right? So... The enemy takes something just as simple as food and then shows us our uncurable desires and appetite and then distorts and takes something as good as food and a good thing becomes a God thing. And then that becomes a bad thing. And when the enemy comes to steal things from us, he is stealing what God has given us. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of those things. Because listen, he knows of what value they are. 
And please know that the enemy knows how valuable the things of God actually are. That's why he wants to take them. That's why those babies, that's why that marriage, that's why your walk with Christ is always a struggle. Hashtag the struggle is real, bro. Because the enemy knows of what value it is. And I would just say this by by preface. If you do not feel any of this in your life, in any of the struggle, in any of the war, then, dear friend, it might be because you are already on a side and you are unaware of it. That the enemy is very aware of the preciousness of your life and that he wants to take it. He's an accuser, he's a murderer, he's a liar, he's a thief, and then this, the enemy is a tempter, Matthew 4.3. We see that Jesus had the showdown in the OK Corral in the desert for 40 days that he had fasted, and he was tempted by the tempter. Matthew gives him this name, the tempter, which literally means to lure someone. So here's what's interesting. I think that we give the enemy way too much power in your life. The enemy, look up here, don't miss this. The enemy has no power, no power to ruin your life. No power to ruin your life. The enemy has power to tempt you to ruin your life. No, that's not just a friend of the opposite sex on Snapchat. No, it's not just innocent looking up your high school sweetheart on Facebook after you've been married for 10 years and have kids. This is how serious this is. That is a temptation of the enemy for you to bite. And once you've bit, you are lured in. No power to ruin your life. All the power to tempt you to ruin your life. That's why the disciplines are so important. That when you pick up your Bible in the morning and you're reading, it is a declaration of war. That's why when you reach back and you drop those babies off before school and you grab that leg and you pray for that child, that's a declaration of war. That's why when we bow our knees and we pray that there is so much more happening in the heavenly places, that these things are real and the scripture teaches that he has fiery darts that get fired at us. And I get 40 minutes on a Sunday to try to tell you about them. And you leave this place and you are assaulted day and night through multiple temptations. Why is this so important? Why are we taking time to do this? There's three primary reasons. The first one is this. So you can be aware. Hello. So that you can be aware of what's going on. That's why... Just a couple, and I'm just, listen, you know what my goal is in life? Don't let the suit and tattoos fool you, bro. I want to put the fun back in fundamentalism, baby. That's what I'm trying to do, okay? So it's an old school message. Um, A couple weeks ago, my kids were watching something on Netflix, and it was fun, and it was innocent, and then all of a sudden, it was like a Halloween show, and then now all of a sudden, the little kids have a Ouija board, and now the cat's dead, and now they're trying to bring the cat back up to life and do all that stuff, and dad stepped in and shut that down. Like moms and dads, what are your kids listening to? I'll never forget being in youth ministry and I told some of the parents, here's how you can check on an iTunes playlist and some of that stuff. You know what a mom came up and told me? My kid would get so mad if I went through their stuff. I'm sorry, I thought you were mom. Like, are we aware of actually what we're letting into our homes? Do you understand the depths and the darkness of these things? No, it's not just a little bit of nudity. No, it's not just 50 shades of gray. It's pornography and it's demonic. Like, I don't know what else to say. And then all of a sudden we come and we're broken and our life is in pieces and we trace it back and it was just fun here and then it was there. And then when we realize and our eyes are open to the depths and the darkness of all of these things. 
I am like someone standing at an intersection waving and saying, don't go this way. Don't go this way. For the love of God, don't go this way. And be aware of what's happening in the warfare in your life. The second reason is this, so you can arm yourself. One of the steps in spiritual warfare, and by the way, this week I texted our board, I texted everybody that was close to me and said, please be praying this week. Because the step in arming yourself is awareness. And when you shine a light on the activity of the enemy, you better believe that there is opposition. You can ask anything. It's it's a sociological experiment. This is true. More crime happens at night in the darkness. And listen to me. You are not the exception. You don't have it under control. You don't understand the consequences that will come. I don't know what it is and I don't know what you're dealing with, but I'm trying to tell you, please arm yourself and be aware. And then the last thing is this, that you can have assurance. This isn't to dangle you over the fire and to scare you and to, oh man, listen, I know I can motivate you. I can bring awareness. And then some of you guys are going to go home and we're not doing this anymore. And we're uh, going to lay down the law and we're not doing this. And in three weeks when life has gotten busy and all of that, everything crawls off the table again. This is not the goal of that. The goal of this is longevity, and you can be assured. Listen to me. You can be assured the words of Jesus Christ, those whom he saves and those who are in his hand, those he keeps. How secure are you? Question, how secure is Jesus standing before God the Father? Pretty secure. And then the scriptures teach that we are in Christ. Yes, there is an assault on your life, but you can be assured that if you are God's children, that you are his children. I read Spurgeon's sermon this week, 1883, July 1st. He stood up in a room of 5,500 people and the first four lines of his sermon were this. Today, in God's house and in this chapel, there are two people and only two people, sons of God and sons of Satan. Which one are you? Praise God for that. It's not as elusive, and it's not, oh, well, this, and I'm not sure. This is real, but you can have assurance and know that the battle still rages, but the victory has been won. And that everything, that when we push back darkness, when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we are literally pushing back darkness. I love what C.S. Lewis says. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every single square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan himself. So I ask you today, are you aware? Are you arming yourself? Are you assured all of this, the Christmas season, declares to us that the powers of darkness have been destroyed, that there is an enemy, but now to the activity. It says that the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. There's a lot of debate about what are the works. Um, some people, you know, the law, the flesh, all of those type of things. But John actually tells us, jump up and look at Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Huh, deceive you, liar, deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. Here it is, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Well, what's sin, Jason? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 4 in your Bible. It's crazy how the Bible explains things. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So what are the works? The works are sin and temptation to sin. What is sin? Sin 
is lawlessness. Or to sum it up this way, the activity of the enemy is to rebel against God. And question, how do you rebel against a ruler? How do you do that? You challenge the ruler's decrees. And so to challenge God is to challenge God's word. And there's two primary ways that the enemy does this. The first one is what I'll call legalism, which is adding to God's word. So legalism, as we defined, is being more strict than God is. And so we learned about that a couple of weeks ago with the prayer of the tax collector and then the Pharisee. That if God's word has said um, this about money, then God will love me more and I will be better than everybody else if I give more than that. That's called legalism. And then legalism goes down to the aisle of behavior modification. So here's what we think. We think if you vote a certain party, wear dockers, don't get any tattoos, don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do, or do any of that, or watch any rated R movies except for The Passion of the Christ, because that's a really good one and about Jesus, then, then I'm right before God. Then God is satisfied with me. Well, how do you know God's satisfied with me? Well, I don't watch any rated R movies other than The Passion of the Christ. I don't drink, drink custard, chew, or go with girls that do. I don't do any of this. And that all of my behavior is now signs and evidence that I am right before God. That's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel doesn't say that we're changed from the outside in. See, the gospel is not so much into behavior modification as it is heart transformation. And one of the ways that the enemy will pursue you in your life is he will try to get you to justify your behavior compared to other people. Well, I'm not as bad as her, my coworker. And I know what God's word says about this, but goodness gracious. I mean, read the Bible in a year? Are you kidding me? My goodness, right? And, then, and so what you start doing is you become a little legalistic lawyer. And you start condemning and justifying. And it's so funny. When you're the standard, everybody falls short, don't they? So legalism, adding to God's word. The second way is what I call license, which is taking away from God's word. So of the license camp, um, they like to put extra words in front of grace and the gospel, like the grace gospel, extreme grace, all of this. Uh, listen, if you put any word, any, reformed, any, if you put any word in front of the gospel, no longer the gospel. It's just the good news of Jesus Christ. That's it. And so then it's, oh, we don't have to do this. We don't have to do any of that. But in reality, God saved us to be a certain way. And we are a certain way because God has saved us. We don't act a certain way, so God will love us. God loves us, so now we act a certain way. Are you following me? So it's legalism or license. And it depends upon your background, what you struggle with in light of that. Those are the works That's what's always laid before you. And dear friend, take me to the bank on this. It always starts with challenging God's word. That happened in Genesis 3. It's happening today. Did God really say this? Well, in the Greek, what Paul really meant was, in the Greco-Roman world, temple worship really considered... I'm just tired. I'm just so tired of it. Why do we constantly want to just peek over and go, and at the end of the day, it's what I said last week about Augustine. If you read what you like in the Gospels and don't believe what you don't like, it is not Christ that you love. It is you. It is you. The enemy, the activity, but are you ready for some good news? The victory. The victory. The Son of God, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. There in the early church fathers, they talk a lot about the incarnation and then what theologians call the atonement, the payment. What did Jesus actually accomplish through his life, death, and resurrection? And the atonement is sort of like a diamond that you hold up to the light and there's all kinds of colors and there's many facets and the satisfaction of the wrath of God and forgiveness and all of these things. But one of them is what's called Christus Victor. 
which is called Christ the Victor. And this is what an early painting of it looks like when it has Christ and then has the enemy underneath his feet. Because what we understand is what Paul tells us later on. That you were bought with a price. And your price was literally the life of Christ. And it goes on to say this in Hebrews. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook in the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What is sin? Sin is lawlessness. And our society says true freedom is the absence of restriction. And that's the opposite of what the Bible says. The absence of restriction is chaos, and you are still a slave to chaos. All of us are slaves. The question is who and what is your master? And through Christus Victor, it describes the word destroy literally means to loosen chains. And so think about it this way, that when the incarnation happened, and I love what one theologian said, why did he have to come here? Why did God have to come to earth? And one theologian said, because if the enemy is the prince and power of this world, then God came to fight him on his own territory. And he loosened the chains that we were bound in. And many of us, some generational chains, family chains, all of these things. And yes, sometimes it still feels like we are dragging these chains around. And yes, some of us are. But the reality is, is that we are free. And here's what Christmas tells us. We are not fighting for victory in our life. We are fighting from victory in our life. That the war and the declaration of Christmas is that Christ, has won, that the enemy has been defeated, that death, hell, and sin have no more power over us only as to what we give it. I said, I pray today that on December 2nd and the first Sunday of Advent that you would have such a new meaning for this season that Christmas declares The powers of darkness have been destroyed by the person of Christ. And I've prayed all week for you, enslaved to sin, exhausted in life, trying to keep all of God's commands so that he would love you. And I come to tell you today that Jesus is one. Run to Christ. And that when we look to the nativity, that there's actually another view of the nativity. John writes the book of Revelation. And John tells us from a cosmic view what actually happened that night in Bethlehem. That on our side, it was a young teenage virgin giving birth in a stable. But here's what John says, what was happening in literally the heavenly realms. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a head of crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child that he might devour it and she gave birth to a male child one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God in his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she was placed and prepared by God, in which she is nourished for a 1,260 days. Now a war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was 
was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great place from them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven thundering. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God and they have conquered them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in his great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and for seasons. And the serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth and the woman to sweep away her and the child. But the earth came to help the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on all of those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is Christmas. This is the birth of Christ the baby that was born in a manger was born to be a dragon slayer. Would that we have a heart and mind of a child in this place today and to know that that Jesus slayed the dragon. So when you come in just a moment and you come and you partake in communion, what we have is we have little dragons for you today. And here's what I want you to do. Listen, don't miss this. Don't laugh. This isn't funny. Look, I want you to take it home. I want you to put it in your nativity scene right over little baby Jesus. When those babies ask you, why is that dragon there? There's no dragons. I want you to read Revelation 12 to them. I want you to tell that little girl and that little boy or that grandbaby, that baby that's born in that manger, he was born to be a dragon slave. We don't have to be afraid anymore because Christmas declares to us that the power of darkness has been destroyed by the person of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we come before you in this place in awe for awakening our senses. No more cozy. No more safe. There is a war. There are marriages in this place under attack. There are addictions in this place. There are self-righteous, judgment people who think that they're better than other people because none of those things are in their life. And God, what we understand is that there's a war for souls stand upon your promises and declare the victory of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. No more chains. No more bondage. No more sin. No more death. And today we push back darkness. And we celebrate the dragon slayer. Jesus Christ. May we leave this place today with a different view of Christmas. We pray this all in the holy and the precious and the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at? Come and get your dragon and partake in communion today.